Hi, this is Maggie Rose, and you're listening to Salute the Songbird on Osiris Media. I started this podcast to showcase women in music who inspire me and who I want folks everywhere to know about. My guests are icons in contemporary music, independent artists, studio musicians, hit songwriters, and power players behind the scenes. All of them challenging the status quo, respecting the hustle, and leading the way for women following in their footsteps. Salute the Songbird is a platform for women in music to share their stories and let their voices be heard. And everyone has a seat at the table. Welcome. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Salute the Songbird. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. I'm very excited about today's guest. She is one of my close friends in Nashville, and she's a punk rock country artist. So she has this really cool, eclectic sound that is all her own. She has her own podcast, Too Much to Say. It's wildly entertaining. She's very candid. She always has been. It's one of the things I love about her. It comes across in her music and her writing as well. So go check that out. She sustained some incredible experiences. She's very young. She's just getting started in her life, but she's very wise and she's been through that and she shares her story with us today. But since we spoke for this conversation, she had a few really exciting things happen where this song she wrote called Amy got all this traction on TikTok and one of her favorite producers, who is a legend, Butch Walker, reached out to her and they cut the song and she's since released it. So we both released singles on February 19th. She put Amy out. I put Do It Out. Butch Walker has produced people like Pink and Green Day. He has his own rock opera called American Love Story that takes on a lot of the social and political issues that we've all been going through together. So their collaboration is so exciting. I'm so glad to see that everything's going as it should for my guest today, the one and only Kaylee Shore. Hello? Can you hear me now? I can't hear you. You might be muted. Oh, I think it's I think it's just my headphones. Sorry. I found some of my roommate's wine at the back of the fridge that has been op- like open for a while. All right, well cheers. All right, we're starting again. Clap with me, even if it's off time. One, two, three. Here we go. Okay. Kaylee Shore, welcome to Salute the Songbird. We salute you. Uh, It's so fun to have you on because you're one of my friends. I've had many a late night with you, and I admire you so much as a person, but as an artist and just someone who knows exactly who they are and, and has their own lane in country music in a way that most other people don't. I'm so happy to have you on the show. So we salute you. Thanks for taking the time, especially since you just came from a socially distant show yourself, right? Yes. Yeah, it was. It's it's interesting to kind of adapt. But I mean, we got to keep working. And thankfully, I'm still rocking antibodies. But yeah, it's like, if there's an opportunity to play a show and, and you know, continue my livelihood, you kind of have to do it. But um, thankfully, like everywhere I've played has been like very safe and cautious. So but it feels good to be back on stage. I'm with you. We've had a few drive-in shows that we've scheduled, and then we've had to cancel them. It is what it is, but we're performers. We improvise. We keep it going. For all of those of you listening, Kaylee Shore is an amazing badass. She had an album that she released in 2019 that New York Times' John Carmonica called one of the top 10 albums of the year 
across the board. This is not just country. And there's an amazing quote that he had about the album that I want to go through. He says, the album is the sort of gut-wrenching album made by someone who understands how vital and detailed country music can be and who is faithful to its heritage, including its lineage of resistance. Everyone in Nashville is likely trying to sandpaper her into something just a little bit less confrontational. Fingers crossed that doesn't happen. And I know that you have not let him down, just based on how you've continued to live your life since. And then you released Open Book on a bridge in 2020, and you just had your new single, Lying to Myself, come out. So quarantine hasn't gotten you down. And Open Book is the most appropriately titled name for your album because I feel like if anyone doesn't know you after one listen to that, they're going to know so much about your life because you divulge personal anecdotes in such a brilliant way. And then you also do that on your podcast, Too Much to Say. I think everyone should give that a listen because I don't know that I could speak to myself for 30 minutes at a time and keep my own attention, let alone all these listeners that you've amassed with this program that you have. It's been a challenge, like the the not having guests, because obviously that was like a huge part of the plan. Um, my producers and I like wanted to kind of establish the podcast for the first few episodes with just me, just to kind of like, because I had a lot of background that listeners needed before we went into other things. But like, I have not been able to really interview anybody um, because it just, we got hit with the pandemic right when it started. And um, now we're like, you know, able to figure out ways to do it. But at the beginning, I was like, oh, I'm not gonna be able to just like have people buy the iHeart studio like I thought I was, you know? I wanna go through this album that you put out and what you've done since to have people become even more acquainted with this work of art that you've put together and with your podcast, just what it's felt like to really go in that direction where everything's out there. I don't feel like you're someone who's been censoring yourself ever, but now you're really walking the walk. Do you feel like you ever want to kind of reel it in or put the cat back in the bag at all? Sometimes. I think that probably the biggest loop that 2020 has thrown me for is being in a healthy relationship. And Mm -hmm. when we first had the idea for the podcast, it was like me, sex in the city, commenting on all my terrible (laughs) dating stories and what that looked like. And you know, a lot of them, they were terrible. And um, then right before I start this podcast about being a single girl in Nashville, I get into a relationship with somebody who I'm very, very happy with. And I'm like, okay, well, let's reevaluate. And I think that the challenge there is still sharing a lot about those parts of my life because I think that there's a lot there. I mean, if you have a great story, share it. But I had to talk to him when we first started dating and I was like, hey, not even so much, I'm going to talk about you on my podcast. It's like, I'm going to talk about my ex-boyfriends on my podcast. And we just need to understand that there's respect there, but I'm just sharing a story and, and whatnot. So I think that that's probably one of the hardest things to share, even more so than some of like my deepest, darkest stuff that I cover on open book is just like when there's other people's feelings involved, because sharing your own story is, is a lot easier, but but airing other people's dirty laundry. That was the hardest part of some of the songs on open book. And that was the hardest part of the podcast as well is like calling my parents and being like, Hey, heads up. (laughs) I love that about your first episode when you're like, I'm going to issue my first and last apology in this episode. I'm going to say fuck a lot. I'm going to say things that I can't take back, but I don't necessarily want my parents to hear. And then also, if you haven't been in 
many healthy relationships prior to the one that you're in now with Sam, who I love, then sometimes you can feel like, oh, I can't share so much of myself with other people because my partner might be jealous of how revealing I am of myself or what I'm sharing that should only belong to this person. I saw a tweet that you put out the other day and it made me laugh out loud. You're like, something about hazing boys not thinking at all. You're like, I wonder what boys think and then I realize they don't. (laughs) And then you had to respond to one of your followers saying, can I please just roast boys without you thinking that you can't simultaneously also be happy with who you're with? And yes, the answer is you can. My roommate had a friend here who was like, in one of those loops that's like why isn't he texting me should I use the smiley face and we're all like helping her craft this and I was like girl you are over complicating this like you're just sitting here freaking out over what he thinks and the truth is he's just not and she was like oh my god and so I wrote that down I was like that's a good tweet but like the weirdest thing and I know you know about this I mean your wedding was in people magazine like it's it's weird to have that personal part of your life be open to other people I mean, I've only posted a handful of pictures of me and Sam just because, like, I'm too busy enjoying my time with him to think about getting a good picture all the time. Um, Also, it's quarantine, so I'm just sitting there in my sweatpants most of the time. Right. But I I posted a picture of us, and somebody was like, wow, somebody tell that dude to smile. He looks like he's cheating on her already. And I was like, oh, my God. The audacity of just the commenters. And then Sam the other day told me, he posted a picture of us on New Year's Day, and he was like, it's my most liked photo, but I also lost 100 followers immediately after posting it, because it was like a bunch of girls. (laughs) Well, I want to give a little backstory for people listening who... I might have the privilege of introducing you to today because I met you after you had released your song Fight Like a Girl and you were really involved with Song Suffragettes which is an all-female alliance of artists and songwriters and they do a showcase every Monday. Well, they did when our routines and schedules were normal. But you were very much a pioneer for female empowerment and this song was really beautifully written and it was catchy and it got airplay and Radio Disney was blowing it up and country radio was picking it up. And I thought that it was an awesome way to be introduced to you myself. And then I was listening to your story. And even with all the success of that single, you were coming into opposition with some of the music row machines that were like, well, we need more music like that when you're multifaceted and you had other songs that you wanted to offer but they didn't think that the rest of the album was there. Yet, you stayed in country music. And sometimes I wonder, knowing you as well as I do, like, why do you put up with all of that bullshit that I think would maybe make you have to be sandpapered down, as John Carmonica said from New York Times. You can't stop me cause I fight like a girl. It's been an interesting path to get to this. I think that there was always a little voice in the back of my head telling me that I was going to be able to create the career I wanted and it wasn't going to look like anybody else's. And I think that there's something so messed up about saying, oh, they're going to be the next so-and-so. Or, you know, you, mm. if you're a blonde girl with a guitar, it's like, she's the next Taylor Swift. It's like, okay, A, don't devalue Taylor Swift like that. And B, don't put me in a box before I've even done anything. But I, I think that one thing that's been a huge blessing about having a song that I've been able to tour off of, like Fight Like a Girl 
kept me alive for like a bit there when I was, you know, I was on the radio and I, I didn't have a publishing deal, but it was still, you know, helping me pay my rent, buy groceries and stuff. Um, and it allowed me to tour and play shows because people knew that song. And you really just need one song to be able to go out on the road. But I had the blessing of being able to tour and meet fans all the time. And that is such a, it's such an anchor when there's all this noise and you're in Nashville. And I even find like when I go long periods without being on the road, i.e. 2020, I get so in my head because I forget that it's about connection and not just industry. But I remember just meeting fans and having them tell me stories, whether it was like a dad who's like trying to raise his daughter to be a feminist. And so he plays her fight like a girl because she's like four. And that's like the easiest thing for her to understand or having a, a gay couple play my song at their wedding. I don't know. It's like, I think there's this misconception within the Nashville industry that's obviously changing now, but they think that country fans just look one certain way and it's like a white guy in a truck and that's just so untrue. And so being able to see those people and be like, oh wow, okay, they want me to play to this particular audience when these suits have no idea what the audience is. I post about politics pretty unashamedly, especially because my label's like very encouraging of it now. Yes, you do. It's one of my favorite things about you. And another thing that makes me ask the question. But I think because my first song, Fight Like a Girl, was so unapologetically feminist, and I've been saying that from the very beginning, like I've never been like, well, I mean, like I really believe in equality, but like feminism is like, I don't know. Like, I hate that. Yeah, I hate that no. shit. I think because I came in so hot with a feminist song, my fans have always been really open-minded because I've only attracted those kind of people. Like if you weren't down for that message, you changed the station, you didn't follow me on Instagram. So my first post that was like political, I was terrified because I was like, I'm a country singer, I'm coming out and I'm saying something that's an issue that skews liberal. And nobody said anything, anything. And I was like, Oh, my fans aren't, you know, racist. My fans aren't like problematic. They they agree with me on most things. And and even like there's been some people that I've been able to have some like actual real genuine back and forth with and I, I try to engage with that. I don't engage with the the bots that are like, You're a member of the liberal elite and you're perpetuating coronavirus and you didn't even have it. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It's just not as scary as I thought it would be. And truthfully, like open book has been such a wonderful lesson to me. And even like, I think my friends that like, it's so scary to jump off that ledge to be yourself, but it was the best thing I ever did. And so now, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to go back from that. I'm not going to start watering myself down again. Like I, this is just it now. And I put out that album and my boyfriend had listened to the entire thing before we even met just because he, you know, heard it. And I, so there was, no, I was like, Oh, well, you know, everything already. So Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I, I mean, I've known you for years and I consider you to be someone that I'm close with. And, and when I heard that album and like really focused on the lyrical content, I felt immediately like our relationship was more intimate. So I can only imagine what that reaction, how overwhelming it could be when you put something like that out into the world. And then all of a sudden you are known because you made it so. But I guess my question was more why deal with the confinements of country music? And I guess it's because you don't want to abandon it. You want to cater to those people who 
love the country that you have to offer. But sometimes, you know, you you said, like, I don't want to consider country music, the demographic to be this one type of person. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it very much still is. So you could get those few negative reviews that you get on your podcast because you use language that you want to use. And I know that Bobby Bones helped facilitate this podcast. He's playing by the rules and he's not using that language. Yet you are completely unapologetically Kaylee Shore. And I feel like it's an arm of a system that no, I couldn't play ball with anymore. So I commend you for digging your heels in. I think if I'd had a, a record deal like you had, I think it probably would have, I, I wouldn't maybe still be in country because like the things I've seen my friends go through, I mean, how has Mickey not released an album yet, but she has a Grammy nomination. I mean, do not even get me started on that. But I signed with a label who's like, they're fully, I mean, I can't even stress how incredible they've been. Tell us what the label is and what makes it different than other labels that Nashville is known for. Well, for starters, it's out of New York City. It was started by Andrew McInnes, and he is like a really like well-respected manager. And he had an in-house record label that they used for their management clients, but it started to do really well. And he was like, well, what if we made this a real label? So I'm like the first artist to be signed to Teamwork Records that's not a management client. But they do... Andrew manages Sturgill Simpson. He manages Diplo. He has done so many different, like, and that's a spectrum that I feel like I fall in the middle of Sturgill Simpson and Diplo. I love it. Yeah. And he's seen, like, he knows what Nashville's like. He's seen Sturgill be on the outside of that, but win all these Grammys. And so he has this like really interesting attitude towards it, but he understands it and he's in New York and he's so encouraging. And I was terrified to cut my voice. I thought that that song was going to be way too out there. I mean, it literally says, like, sit on some laps and your song will go top 10. And I wrote it, like, as a cathartic thing with two of my friends right before I went in to record Open Book. And it was like a, like, I'm going to give myself some confidence and write this song and ha ha ha, it's never going to see the light of day. And then when I, I almost didn't put it in the Dropbox when we were picking songs for Unabridged. And the first person who was like, you have to cut this song was the, my label head. And it's a song that's like I love that. talking shit about labels. And that... Even well, and I love it. You're like tattoos at the Opry. I could cover them <laughs> up, but that's not me. It's yeah. It is perfectly describing who you are, and I, it felt like it just kind of cut straight to my feelings about where I belong in this town too. And oh, the yeah. fact that you have a team around you that is unconventional, supporting a song about you declaring your unique sides is is so awesome. Yeah, I definitely. And I mean, I feel like you understand my situation so much more than other people but to your earlier point about you know why do I do country music when country music's only kind of rejected me I think that representation is really important and seeing artists who share the same perspectives as you and have gone through the same things as you like that's very important for like you know a a young girl who is really into Black Lives Matter for her to see an artist who goes to the protest. Like, that's important. So she can be like, oh, country music can be for me too. And that's like a way smaller thing. But on a much larger scale, you have Mickey Guyton being like, yeah, you can be a country singer if you're black. Why would anybody think anything different? And then, I don't know if you saw yesterday, but Brooke Eden, like, finally, like, officially came out with her girlfriend, Hillary. And I just think that's so important and so beautiful 
there's very few openly gay country artists and a little girl at home who hasn't come out to her parents yet and, and loves this artist and sees that and is like, oh, wow, like somebody I look up to did it. I can do it, too. I think it's it's even more so important to speak out because of that, because the fans need to see their favorite artists as not only people who like share their life path, but also share their perspective. And, you know, I think Casey Musgraves being so outspoken about her support for the LGBTQ community was a huge thing. You can see it, you can be it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I talked to Mickey about this and her answer was similar to your own where she felt like for so many years she was trying to comply and do what she had to do to get the radio hit and in a way turning her back on all the people that look like her who are very much country fans who, like her, grew up watching Dolly Parton with her grandma and like all these things that pull you to country music in the first place but I also think sonically like your sensibilities are so on point I feel that you're someone with those instincts who could make a killer pop record and not have to give two shits about offending anyone who hears it but it makes me respect your pursuit so much more knowing that you're speaking to who you may have been as a little girl wanting that representation in country music I, and I definitely think that like I'm on a crossover path for sure. My music's always been sonically quasi country. However, I really love, I don't put anything on my, my records that I'm producing that I don't love. And I love pedal steel. I think it's like a beautiful weepy instrument. Um, I love the way everybody from, you know, from someone like Sergio Simpson uses it to someone like vertical horizon when they use it on best I ever had. Like, I think it might be an electric Mm -hmm. guitar imitating one, but it still counts. And I just put the things on my songs that I like. And at the end of the day, when I play a song, people are like, that sounds country. And I think it's because I love structure in songs, even though I believe in, you know, coloring outside the lines and thinking outside the box. I really love the challenge of making a song that is like verse, pre-chorus, chorus, verse, chorus, pre-chorus is the bridge, chorus. And then taking that box and putting as much cool shit in there as you possibly can and still making it like tight and commercial. But it's not me commercializing it. It's me challenging myself to make something that could reach more people. I don't know. I just think it's fun. It's like a puzzle. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I just grew up listening to so much popular music and it would be very difficult for me just even mentally to write a five minute, six minute song. I just don't know if my brain would let me. You weave so many components into your music. And I feel like if you had five minutes writing the lyrics the way that you do, the lyric page would be this <laughs> yeah. long. And for those of you listening, it's I'm holding like a meter stick up right here. Yeah. Because you pack it all in. I want to go through open book if we can, just a little bit. And I think we have to play the listeners some of my voice right now just so they can hear your unapologetic declaration of who Kaylee Shore (laughs) is. And also, I need to get more bourbon, so I'm going to be right back. Okay, you do that. I'm going to get more wine, too. There are a few songs that really just kind of devastate me in the best way possible. My voice being one of them for all the reasons that we just talked about and how I feel like you so succinctly wrap up who you are in the midst of 
the country world and the Nashville music ecosystem. I love the song F You Forever. It made me really jealous of not having an opportunity to go through a messy breakup, which is so messed up because I know how hard that was for you. But I was like, man, I wish I had some fodder like Kaylee had to write a song as genius as that. Who did you write it with? I wrote it with two of my very best friends. One, her name is Annie Wilgen. We met when we were 19 working at the Marriott front desk on West End. She was like my first Nashville friend. And then Candy, mm-hmm. you know Candy, she just adores you. Um, Candy Carpenter. Yeah, Candy Carpenter. Phenomenally talented. So great. And um, Candy came in with the idea. And it was our first time, I'd written with Annie, I'd written with so many songs on Open Book with Candy, but it was our first time writing together. And Annie had just gone through this horrific breakup, and Candy had her idea from her divorce. And it just all fell into place. And the weirdest thing about writing that song was we wrote all of the lyrics and then we wrote the melody and we played it down. And then at the very end, I was like, holy shit, guys. I was like, what if at the end we say, I'm so glad I don't have to fuck you forever. And we were all just like, <gasps> but it like literally that didn't happen until we'd already played the entire song through. Well, it's the best like blow to land at the end of the song. But I also think that as fun as the song is and as full of piss and vinegar as it is, mm-hmm. the bridge of it was what really got me because you talk about all the things that the insults that were hurled at, hurled at you, like being a narcissist or not being enough. And you say that, like, I'm a mirror that's just reflecting and you're the asshole that's just projecting. That's one of my and favorite I just lines. Thought, yeah. I thought it was really, and it was you can hear the pain in your voice and it was super sensitive but also very wise just to be able to wrap that all up and walk away from a relationship I've heard you talk about how people and this is the beauty of your fandom they come up to you after hearing this song and they've gotten out of a tough relationship or they've realized their own self-worth the lyrics of that song are so worth a listen I know that a lot of people who hear it the first time through might just be having a party and on Mm -hmm. a tear trying to run away from a relationship that they've been in but I think that it's some of like your most lyrical genius shining through but Open Book is hardly a breakup album I would say. Thank you! Open Book is far from a breakup album I think it's an origin story about who you are being you know a young girl who's grown up in Portland Maine and you document all of this on your podcast but you talk about driving with your mother after Sunday service to go to neighborhoods and look at the big houses that maybe you couldn't have afforded as a child and what that bonding experience was like with you. Did you have to call your mom and brace her for the revelations that you made on this album and those intimate moments that you had? The interesting thing about releasing music is you document a moment in time and your perspective on a moment in time. And to be completely honest, my perspective and my relationship with my mother has changed since I wrote Big Houses. And there's a lot of stuff about my dad on the album as well, like especially like in Gatsby. It's like I don't really like dating assholes, but I do it because I have a weird relationship with my dad. It comes in hot. And I had to call my dad about that one for sure. And he was just like, did I really make you date assholes? I was like, well, nobody made me date, date assholes, but the daddy issues didn't help. You know, as I've gotten closer to my dad, I've realized both my parents were flawed and maybe I had someone on a pedestal that didn't need to be there. 
um, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. I've had to do a lot of reevaluating, but I think that the album helped me do that. But at the same time, like, I think you need to be respectful, and I'm not trying to, like, piss off my family, but there are people in my family who've hurt me really badly, and I'm like, okay, well, A, you know, you can't blame a writer for telling their story just because you're a character in it, and B, like, what you did to me is who I am, and I'm not going to censor that just because there's other parties involved. I mean, 90% of what we are is what people have done to us, (laughs) like, and what we've seen and witnessed and whatnot. And it might be easier to deliver that message sometimes with a vehicle of music. Like, I know that some of these topics that you've written about are not topics that you and I have necessarily ever sat down and discussed at length. But, you know, you talk about tragedy that you've gone through with your sister and your own struggles with, like, body image. And once you put that out there, and even in your podcast, like me listening to the patterns that you would go through with, you know, how you felt about yourself and and eating and everything. It made me realize that I too have, you know, dealt with those things. And because you put that out there, I think that all of a sudden it uninhibits people who maybe would have otherwise kept these things in the shadows. So your bravery in doing that is something that might be a catalyst for other people to get through some of those issues themselves. It would be scary for me to... It is, for sure. Um, But one of the first episodes I did for my podcast was called Hungry is the New Skinny. And I called it that because, like, when I look back at pictures of me from, you know, when I wasn't doing well, I have to remind myself, I'm like, yeah, I look really skinny there, but I was really hungry. And so when I see pictures of myself now, like, I look at, I like, in my head, I'm like, I was hungry. I was not skinny. I was hungry. And Mm. when I see a girl who I'm, mm, this is going to come off like I'm judging other people's bodies, which isn't okay. But like, let's say I see an Instagram model who posts about her 1200 calorie a day diet and how she burns off 600 of it at the gym. And like that girl has an eating disorder. And, and that is not, that is an objective opinion. So when I see that and I compare my body to hers, I'm like, that girl's hungry. She probably is really miserable. She's probably really depressed. She probably has no sex drive. (laughs) Like, She's not a happy person. I can't compare myself to somebody who is literally publicly documenting their eating disorder and selling people skinny teas that make you shit your brains out. So I th- that's right. been a mantra for me. And so I did this episode, and it ended up being one of the most popular ones. But I think one of the biggest things that came from that episode and being that open was there were a lot of guys who DM'd me and talked about their struggles with right. body image. And it wasn't till I was open about my eating disorder that somebody in my family who's a guy came up to me and, you know, talked to me about it and how he'd had an eating disorder in high school. But there's so much stigma around guys having it. And that just, I mean, feels so good because half of the battle is just saying it to yourself and being like, I had an eating disorder. And so if somebody needs to say that to a singer they don't really know on Instagram, but that helps them, that's incredible. And so I respond to all those messages, but... I was really blown away, and that was one of the first episodes, and so I was just like, all right, well, we're just going to continue to be this transparent. The song that I think deserves a Grammy and that I know probably took a toll on you to write is the one that you wrote with your co-producer, Skip Black, after he 
lost his niece to a heroin, accidental heroin overdose, and you had been through a similar tragedy with your sister, and it's called The World Keeps Spinning. I listened to it over and over again, especially the bridge where, you know, you're on your way to your sister's funeral, and it's a beautiful day. The chorus, everyone has to listen to it. The chorus talks about how it wasn't a rainy day, it was a sunny day, and it wasn't necessarily the ambiance that you would have imagined in such a tragic moment, but that the wedding that you drove by made you think of the bride who was probably happy that it was beautiful and how all these moving parts are going on and people are just on their own tracks and life resumes. You even touch on things that I feel are unfathomable to a lot of people your age. Uh, So I want to play some of that for everybody. It was just another day How long did it take you to write that? And is it hard for you to sing when you have to uh, revisit it? The bizarre thing about most of the songs on Open Book is they were written so quickly. And I really feel like even more so than I wrote those songs, those songs wrote me. And it very much so felt like they were coming from a bigger place, especially a song like The World Keeps Spinning. I had found out my sister passed away and obviously canceled all my co-writes, didn't do anything. I did have to shoot a music video because we'd already put down the deposit for everything, so that was one of the worst days of my life. And there was all this tabloid stuff happening that day, so that was really insane. Like It was like the Daily Mail was like, Kaylee's heroin heartache, and I saw it on Snapchat just because I was like on Snapchat clicking through. But in that time period between... After she passed away and her funeral and me coming back, I only sat down at the piano twice. And once was I played Rhiannon, which uh, Rhiannon's her middle name. And I absolutely plan to name like my future daughter that. I mean, I love mm-hmm. the song. I love her. I love the, the tale of the Welsh goddess. Uh, but the second time I sat down during that like month-long period and did anything was I sat down at the piano and I wrote a little bit of The World Keeps Spinning. And I'd almost forgotten about it. And by February, I was channeling everything into music I was throwing myself into work I knew that that was what was going to get me through I knew that that was what she would want I knew that that was what would make my family feel like I was doing okay was me doing the thing I love the most so I I really threw myself into that and wrote most of open book in February of 2019 which is hilarious because we had almost the entire track listing and then scrapped all of it and we're like okay new album because after that happened I mean like that forced me to confront a lot of things and I wouldn't have written those songs six months before towards the end of it when we were about to go in the studio I'd remembered that idea and I was with my producer Skip and he had lost his niece a couple months before she was my age her name was Megan and him and I had obviously discussed that and really found comfort in each other during that time and then we wrote it with Robin Collins who'd been through just as much of an earth-shattering loss and I think you can always tell when there's like a country song that like uses like a death trope 
and it's just corny and it's like the grandpa dies in the third verse and you're like that's not that didn't happen and I think there's like a really weird I hate that I hate like I, I played a show with somebody one time and like it was right after my sister passed away and they were like this is a song I wrote about, you know, somebody passing away and I've never experienced that, but I hope you can find some comfort in this. And I have a unhealthy grudge against that person now because it was just like manufactured pain pissed me off. And I know that like it hit really close to home, but I just hated it. And because the three of us had all felt that very strong point in emotion, which is like, why does everybody else get to go about their day? Like, why isn't everybody realizing that like my world's ending over here? And I wrote the song after I went to Ulta to return some mascara that just didn't work for me. (laughs) And I had like a couple days left. It was like $30 mascara. And I was like, I'm going to go return it. And it was the first time I'd left the house since I found out she passed away. So I look like just garbage. Like I hadn't showered. I hadn't done. I mean, you don't think to shower when you're in that place. (laughs) So I'm like wearing sweatpants and like rain boots and trudging to Ulta. And somebody holds the door open for me. And I didn't even know what year it was. I mean, I was like fully disassociating. Couldn't even believe I was standing at that point. And I didn't notice that they held the door and that it wasn't like an automatic door. And the guy goes, you're supposed to say thank you. And I was like, I could ruin your life right now and tell you what I'm going through and make you feel so bad, but I'm just not going to do it. And I was just like, yeah, I'm sorry. But it was a huge moment for me in realizing that you know, the world does keep spinning when your heart's broken, but sometimes you can be the part of the world that's spinning when somebody else has stopped. So like if somebody cuts you off in traffic, you don't know where they're on their way to. Mm -hmm. If somebody doesn't smile back at you when you smile at them on the sidewalk, you have no idea what's going on in that, that person's brain. And just, it gave me a lot of empathy and a lot more patience with people because you truly never know what people are going through. And you could have like a best friend who's not telling you what they're going through. And it's just like, I really believe most people are good, but you're probably going to be an asshole when you're going through something and not even realize it. And you deserve a hall pass. Well, Kaylee, you're so special to even have taken that moment as like a point of inspiration when you're going through what you're going through. And I wish you had kind of given that guy a piece of your mind, but (laughs) instead you... (laughs) You went and wrote this beautiful song. Um, so thank you for sharing that. You do such a beautiful job with your vocals. And I think this is a testament to you and Skip. You just know how to nestle into this like unbelievable, vulnerable spot where the listener, I feel like it's just you and me in that moment on some of these lines. Gatsby is a hoot. We already talked about the first line where you talk about your daddy issues. Sorry, dad, but you know. He's self-aware enough to get it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't expect any less considering how you turned out. (laughs) Alice in Wonderland, I love because it's sort of a love letter to your ex's new girl. And you're talking about, you know, every bottle you see will say, drink me and he'll make you feel smaller and you'll start shrinking. And just the analogy and how you did all of that was brilliant. Well, the girl's name was actually Alice. Do you know that? No, I didn't. Yeah. And you wrote that with Candy too, right? Candy Carpenter. I wrote that with Candy. And Candy was with you to witness all of this. Everything that had transpired to go into this album, correct? I mean, she knew my ex boyfriend. She was there at the parties where I ran into him and this new girl. She took time. She was recording an album and she canceled a week worth of things to fly back home with me for my sister's funeral. And I had my hometown best friend didn't even come. 
and Candy dropped everything. And that was, I mean, God, it's just, I'm so lucky to have found friends like the ones I have. Well, I want to pivot a little bit actually to that because I think you, Kaylee, are someone who's been able to really encourage other artists, regardless of the genre in Nashville, female artists who find that network of women and keep them close and you fortify other women around you. And the example is very much so with Song Suffragettes and what you've done and all the work with that. And, you know, I know that you're buddies with Kelsey Ballerini, but you also have helped a lot of newcomers break through and uh, get their voice heard. Savannah Kyes is someone who I discovered through you. And I feel like, you know, you're someone who really benefits from having that network of talented women around you and you bolster each other up and it's not an act like it's that's who you are and you thrive in that and I think that all the songs that have yielded from your relationships with people like Savannah and Candy are just a testament to the fact that that works for you I just really like other women in general Um, yeah I always get really weirded out by girls who are like, I hang out with guys because they're less drama. I'm like, "Mm, men start wars and that's like the ultimate drama. I don't know what you mean by that. Also, have you met a man? Their drama just looks different. I just, I hate that shit. And the second I meet a person who says that, I'm like, "Mm." yeah, it's a red flag. And, you know, guys have their red flags, but I think you're kind of the poster woman for someone who has always been that way and regardless of if things are going well for you or if you're feeling like you're banging your head against a wall you've kept those people really close and I've discovered a lot of people through you there's this misconception that female artists can't be friends with each other and that we're all each other's competition and blah 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 blah. but when you look at the men in country music I mean Luke Bryan is friends with everybody and I mean Cole Swindell used to be his merch guy and he helped him up and helped him (sighs) and cut his songs and why can't we do that you know and also I mean there's been times where I've been going through something so wildly specific to being a solo artist in the music industry that you and Mickey and Candy are the only people who would understand what I'm talking about and I mean you and I met at or I think the first time we ever like hung out hung out was at Kelsey Ballerini's house because she was doing this girls night thing where we all got together but it it's just very true that you need friends who understand and no matter how much you know, my, my family loves me. They don't understand the music industry because it would take forever to explain it to them. Sure. And, and it just doesn't happen. And I mean, even like my therapist, she'll be like, wait, so what's a publishing deal again? And I'm like, ah, (laughs) (laughs) I need therapy for my therapy. If I have to explain that. Yeah. I found one who gets it. So thank God. (laughs) What do you want to see change for you or to continue for you in 2021? I've seen so many things change in 2020 and obviously that year looked a lot different than I thought it would. It was shitty. There were low points there for the first time in my entire life. Honestly, since I moved to Nashville, I had a moment where I was like, am I not supposed to be an artist? And I don't, I don't get to that point. And I wrote this song about all of it and it'll never see the light of day, but it was just about, you know, my experiences, label meetings and how you're pouring your heart out and playing this song that's as vulnerable you know the songs on open book are so vulnerable playing those in a corner office for somebody in a suit 
is so jarring. And then to have like look and see that that person's texting while you're playing mm. them the song is so like what the fuck. Mm. And so I just had like reached this threshold and I wasn't on the road and I felt like I wasn't accomplished anything. Every musician felt that pain. Every person felt that pain. But I ended up at the end of 2020 having, I live in this adorable little house with a yard and a porch. And thank God, because quarantine would have been rough otherwise if I was still living in that like apartment. And I'm in a healthy relationship and I got a record deal and I got to re-release Open Book. And I'd had this dream release week for it when I first released it, but we didn't have a budget for promotional stuff. We just, I made the album with a lot of IOUs and a lot of credit cards and was like, wow, I, you know, I would have really loved to be on this Spotify playlist. I would have really loved to have had a billboard in Times Square. And then when I got to do it round two, we had a billboard in Times Square. I was the cover of a uh, Spotify playlist and we had all this press. I did this really cool Forbes article and I was just like, wow, whoever in the music industry gets a do-over like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just blew my mind. So I'm so excited because that was my first project with Teamwork Records, but this next one is the first time I'm going to have a team of people to like A&R and they're all so smart and honestly pushed me to be myself even more than I do, which is really saying something. So I just really respect their opinions because if they don't like a song. They're like, well, this is why. And the reason why is never like, it's too much. <laughs> it's always like you can do better or something like that, which mm. is a totally reasonable thing to say. And I think this next phase of music is going to be, I'm just going to have a lot more confidence when I'm doing it because A, I've seen the success of Open Book, but B, I knew that somebody liked it enough to put money behind me and sign me to a record deal. I also mm -hmm. like am so baffled all the time at what having a record deal means because I've gone with that one for so long. And they'll like make a graphic for, for some stupid thing. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't have to do that on pickmonkey.com by myself. <laughs> So, I mean, I feel like I'm on a good trajectory and I'm about to start writing for the project again and seeing what this next phase is. Every time I'm doing something like this, I get, I can tell when I'm on the edge of it, when it's about to break and I'm just about to like vomit out creativity. And mm -hmm. I think I'm about to be there. Just got to do some vision boarding. I'm manifesting a producer right now. I have one in my head. I'm really excited about it. I'm putting it out there for you too. But isn't that how it works? It's just like these waves that roll in and you never know when your next your next moment to take flight is going to arrive. Totally. But you so deserve to have people behind you who have skin in the game to get this music out there and heard. And I'm so happy that you put an uh, open book unabridged out because the extension of that album and how chronological the whole storytelling aspect of it is, is really awesome. Thank you for noticing. It's really great, Kaylee. Thank it's you. awesome. I feel very seen by you. I'm I'm very thankful at how much attention you've paid to the details. There are so many details. I, I feel like this whole conversation, if it were my way, would just be me reading lyrics to you and having you tell me like how you came up with them. We can do that on my podcast. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Okay, done. All right. You guys heard it here to be continued. Let me just go through a few. Just okay. a few, okay? I'm excited. This is, I, I live for the, there's nothing I care about more than song lyrics other than like, you know, the, the well-being of humanity. But. You play the victim with all our friends and then slept with them. Looks like my abandonment issues got the best of me. What song is that from? Evie Forever. I love that so much. You play the victim with all our friends and then slept with them. 
And there's a way that you can just make me laugh and also cry at the same time. That's the goal, man. That's the goal. It's a Kayla Shore song. The first line of the song 18, I'm not even going to say because it's just like the biggest wallop you've ever heard. And it's a song about you being a young girl in a relationship with an older, maybe not so well-intentioned man who was taking advantage of your naivete, I think. Do you want to know the weirdest thing about that song? Yes. It's about the ex that I was with for six years because we started dating on my 18th birthday. Mm, a little suspicious there. Oh. Um, he wasn't old enough that it was weird, but I do, I do think that some guys go for younger girls because they know that they can like impress them a lot easier. Like I don't mm-hmm. think it was like anything illegal, but it, it is a weird... When you see a guy in his 20s going after a girl who's in high school, you're like, what's wrong with you? Something's weird. Yeah, you talk about him buying beer for you when you went to prom because he was too old to go with you. and Yeah, but so that song happened during quarantine because my boyfriend Sam and I finally had the conversation where I was like, hey, so this is what's happened to me, you know, because he was like, hey, like, are you ready to talk about this? And I told him the whole story of the breakup. And we got back to his house and we were just sitting down at his piano to kind of like, we just sing together a lot. And I was like, hey, so that was a lot of talking about something for me. And I think I had a couple epiphanies. Can we write about it? So that song was written by me and Sam about my previous no relationship. Yeah. Just me and that him. That is so amazing. Yeah. And, and it Gosh. was when he got the dig in about uh, Sam's line was the actress is too young and the director's a narcissist because that's my ex's occupation. I was like, did that feel good to get that dig in there? It, it was awesome. Yeah. And the fact that you fit narcissist in so, so amazing. I get narcissist in my song so often. Yeah, but it's, you know, it's a pretty syllabic word. Yeah. It's <laughs> you syllabic. just kind of slide it in there, syllabic. There's some that are a little difficult. You know, I've lost so many people to cheating and heroin and too much to say. You know, that really got me. And you just kind of slip it in there and... Yeah. You talk about your sister meeting this piece of shit and your brother's kryptonite being a 12-pack. Like, you know, anybody, we all have our vices. Mm -hmm. And, like, again, I'm going to say this. I'm doubling, tripling down on it. Like, your bravery. There is no other title for this album than Open Book. So on Too Much to Say, the song you're talking about, I believe in the power of an opening track more than anything. I mean, All I Real, Really Want by Alanis Morissette on Jagged Little Pill or Kerosene on Miranda Lambert's album. Mm. Those just like, if you're listening to an album from top to bottom, like, or a Holy Ground by Taylor Swift, that just like, or actually it might be State of Grace. I think it's State of Grace on Red where it just like gets you going. I really wanted to put a lot of thought into that. And so when I was writing too much to say I had a feeling during the writing process like about halfway through I was like oh guys we're writing the opening track and they were like oh shit and I was like this could be the name of the album I was like too much to say could be the name of the album and that was what it was for a second until my manager listened to it and was like hey what if it was open book because of the line in too much to say open book I'm an open book with an open ending and I was like and there's like the literary references with Alice in Wonderland and Gatsby and like all this stuff. So it just like fell together. But realizing that that was the opening track halfway through the right allowed us to be really intentional. And I was like, let's make this a thesis statement for the album where if you were to listen to one song 
on the album that kind of encompasses everything. Like, let's make it this one. And it was just really cool to know that in the room when we were writing it because we got to have so much control and it was just every line mattered and was intentional and pointed to something else. So I'm going to end this with a question that I ask all my guests. And, you know, we talk often about the difficulties of being a woman in the industry, but I want to know, Kaylee, what you think a benefit of being a woman in the industry is. You have to work twice as hard to get what you want. But when you get what you want, you're used to working twice as hard. And that's why... Dolly Parton gets to be Dolly Parton and Taylor Swift gets to be Taylor Swift and Shania Twain gets to be Shania Twain because when they hit that superstar status they don't stop and they cover everything and I think that having to learn how to stand out you have to find your own lane a lot more than a guy does I mean I talk to my friends who are male artists and they're like might have a hit song and they don't know who they are because it that came easily to them and I'm not judging them for that. I mean, that happens to women too, but that came easily to them and they never had to have that conversation where they're like, what's my lane? I have to stand out. I can't sound like anybody else. So we expedite the process in a lot of ways because of the pressure that's put on us. And I also, I love a good challenge and I love proving people wrong. And I've done a lot of it in my life and I continue. And I think that the work ethic that comes from literally just being a woman is enough to make it worth it. And if everybody in the industry had that amount of pressure on them, I think we'd have a lot more. I don't know what it would look like, but it looked different for sure. I, I think you're absolutely right. You'd have a lot less like male artists getting DUIs out there. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> honestly, like you don't really, I'm not going to say anything else, but y'all know what I mean. Y'all know exactly what I mean. You certainly know how to work twice as hard as the rest of them. Kaylee Shore, we salute you. I love you. I can't wait to see you in person. Thank you so much for taking time with us and hanging out with us tonight. Everyone, make sure to go check out the new open book, Unabridged, that just came out, and your new single, Lying to Myself, which I can't wait to see the music video for. Ooh, that'd be super fun. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Kaylee. That's a wrap. You can keep up with Kaylee on her socials at Kaylee Shore. That's K-A-L-I-E-S-H-O-R-R. And make sure to check out her brand new single, Amy. And to keep up with me, my music, and my touring calendar, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at I am Maggie Rose. Make sure to check out my new single, Do It. And you can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash I am Maggie Rose, where you can get exclusive Salute the Songbird content along with new music, live stream concerts, and more. You've been listening to Salute the Songbird on Osiris Media. The executive producers are Kirsten Cluthy and Brad Stratton from Osiris Media and Austin Marshall. And the show is edited and mixed by Brad Stratton. Original music by Maggie Rose. Please subscribe to Salute the Songbird on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. And if you like the show, recommend it to a friend or leave us a review so that others can join the conversation. Thanks for listening. And to close out the show, here's Kaylee's new single, Amy. Amy.